Welcome to this BMJ podcast with me, Navjoit Lada, Analysis Editor. We're joined today by Joe Ross, Associate Professor of Medicine and Public Health at Yale University, and one of the authors of an analysis article in the BMJ that looks at whether the drugs that get the heaviest promotion in the US are the drugs that bring the most value. Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. So perhaps a good starting point would just be to talk us through what you were setting out to explore and understand in this work that you did. Well, for us, this this was a project that, that grew out of some conversations with medical students who had lots of questions about interactions with pharmaceutical representatives and, you know, what products are being promoted and also how that fits within the debate about um, the as companies say, you know, the, one of the key parts of promotion and interacting with physicians is to, you know, convey new information and provide, you know, important educational opportunities about newly approved drugs. And you know, I was talking with a medical student, and we're essentially like, well, so what are the drugs that are being heavily promoted? Is there a way for us uh, to think through and get a sense of, you know, these, these top promoted drugs? Are, are they the important ones? Are they the ones that we would want to see um, you know, industry getting out there, talking to physicians and promoting their use. Um, and so we tried to answer it, you know, objectively. And before you, before you embarked on this work, what was your, what was your sense about, about that? Well, we had a, our own suspicion that the, that the types of drugs that were going to be most heavily promoted were not necessarily the ones that were best for patients because um, the thought being, you know, physicians are trying to do great by their patients. They're trying to ensure that they're getting the best possible care. And so our assumption was that if a new drug uh, it comes to market and it's really incredibly beneficial, regardless of its cost, it's not going to need to be heavily promoted to get adopted and to, and to be used because physicians are going to want to make those changes to their practice because they think it's going to improve patient care. Our, our, our assumption that it was more the, the me too drugs uh, that are trying to establish themselves within the market and gain more of a market share uh, and get more adoption. Those are the ones that are going to be more heavily promoted. And and that is basically what we found. Okay. So how did you um, go about sort of examining this issue? What did you actually do? Well, we tried to think about, um, you know, how how do you assess, you know, the importance or the value uh, of a drug in clinical practice? And we brainstormed some ways and tried to come up with some objective ratings. And so we... uh, we're, we, we essentially identified different ways to measure the drug's innovation. You know, is it a first-in-class or an advanced-in-class, you know, clearly representing an important new therapy, or is it just, you know, addition to class? And this is a regulatory designation that's made by the, by the FDA in their prior research. We used independent ratings like Press Career, which is a French independent drug evaluator uh, that rates all new therapies as they come to market on the basis of their evidence. As uh, and the ones we considered the best were the ones that they rated as offering an advantage, or you know that at least possibly helpful. Uh, we wanted to look at whether it was a brand or if there was a generic drug available that gets at its cost. Uh, we wanted to look to see whether the WHO had listed it as an essential medicine. And then we looked through specialty guidelines and recommendations from government agencies to see if it was being designated as a first-line treatment. And what we essentially found in, in all is that, um, although not all of our comparisons were statistically significant, for all of these, um, the top promoted drug was less likely uh, to have the sort of high-value characteristic than either top-selling or top-prescribed drugs. 
And it's interesting, that finding. I mean, some people might look at that and say, actually, that doesn't come as a great surprise to me at all. So what what I mean, what do you think that, that this analysis that you've done is new and adds to what people might have already suspected? Well, a, a lot of what I try to do in research is uh, provide data to inform debate. And so, you know, you'll hear these discussions on plenary platforms or, at, you know, about the proper role of industry and education and in uh, interactions with physicians, and you know, and people will say no, you know, fr- that are pro- essentially defending industry's involvement. They're saying no; these are key new therapies, and we want to ensure that uh, pharmaceutical representatives are able to, you know, meet with and teach about uh, these new therapies. And uh, you know, and you're sort of left with kind of like a he said, she said, right? Like they say yes, they say no. So what do you do? And so for me, this was more of an opportunity to say, well here's the data. Like, these are a, a bunch of different objective measures, and it shows that actually the top promoted drugs are less, quote-unquote, you know, value, valuable. They're providing less value to patients as a whole and to our public health systems as a whole. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I found interested, I mean, I edited your paper and, and on reading your paper as well, was thinking about drugs' value and how surprising it is that we don't have, you've essentially developed th- these criteria that you think very plausibly and reasonably um, feed into a drug's value, but that we it's not something that you, you see very much discussed or sort of defined previously, which I, I have to say I found surprising. Yeah, well, as did we when we started the project. <laughs> we <laughs> thought it would be very easy to just, uh, you know, look at, you know, maybe NICE or ICWIG or someone's going to have, a, you know, a good quality metric for every drug and we'll be able to just use that number. That's where we started when we were brainstorming. And then, you know, after many, you know, days of searching and looking around and trying to f- find that, e- you know, easy to... F- easy to obtain quality metric, you know, quality adjusted life year metric or some some other metric like that. We couldn't we couldn't find anything. So we just brainstormed and came up with this classification system and we would encourage others to sort of chime in like what more could we do? It'd be it would be interesting to you know to continue to to build this out and and, and develop, you know, a broader value scheme. Yeah, absolutely. And um going so going back to to what you found, were there any um, themes sort of beyond your headline finding. What are the qualities of the drugs that were highly promoted? That was there any sort of features, common features that you found? Well, you know, I think that the the, the biggest common feature is right. I mean, of course, they're all new. They're all you know pretty new brand you know brand name drugs. You know, we didn't go through and lay out how recently they had come to market, but you know, on sort of a first glance, you know, I think most of them have probably only been on the market for five years, and that's what you would expect. Um, And so these top promoted drugs are, you know, the ones that, you know, the companies are trying to, you know, encourage this uptake. But they're also, you know, drugs in a crowded field, right? So, you know, among the most highly promoted drugs um, are the NOACs, the novel oral anticoagulants. And there's two interesting things about that, I think, that illustrates this. First, those, those, that whole new class of drugs is trying to Eclipse, uh, you know, warfarin as a cheap, readily available, long-time, generically available drug that's, uh, you know, that people have used for years and years and years. So there's a lot of promotion to push, you know, push towards brand and away from generic. But also, you know, there's three new novel oral anticoagulants that came to market at about the same time. So they're all competing for this new market share together. So there's a lot of promotion uh, across those within that class. And and so I think you know that that's sort of what you end up seeing in the list. This is a little bit of a, an arms race of with, within various classes as 
new drugs are coming to market within a class and competing against each other and also trying to push out uh, a generically available alternative. Okay, and what what do you think this and, and some of your other findings tell us about about drug promotion in general? Well, to, as a clinician, I think you have to be wary of what's being most heavily promoted, right? Uh, you know, a lot of this promotion is, you know, what's coming through the, you know, the, the educational meetings, the dinners, the, you know, the, that, that kind of stuff. And if, if these are the drugs that people are hearing about, there should be a skepticism about their value to their patients. We'd you know, we didn't go through and quantify, you know, but this, you know, what this suggests is that the drugs that are being most promoted are going to be the most expensive to the systems uh, without providing the most value. And by being most expensive to the systems, they're going to be most expensive to your patients. And uh, if there are better alternatives available that are, you know, providing greater value, those, you have to be skeptical of what you're hearing and, and make sure you're using those medicines. Mm-hmm. And what do you think it might mean for patients? I mean, particularly in, um, a, an area where you have direct-to-consumer marketing, what, what impact do you think or what message would you, would you have for patients or people? <laughs> my, my guess is we're going to see the same, we would see the same thing uh, if we were to do a study of the direct-to-consumer advertising, which is always in the back of our mind sort of the follow-up to this. Because um, you know, my guess is that uh, this value proposition is going to be even more inverted um, if you were to, to, to contrast the most heavily advertised uh, medicines uh, to patients themselves, which you know only happens in the United States and New Zealand, but it does drive uh, per, uh, p- patient behaviors to go in and request drugs. Um, and you know, it's I, I hate to see that, right? I hate to see uh, you know patients you know being promoted or receiving information that's very promotional. That's going to push them to therapies that may not be the best for them. I mean, what action do you think should should arise out of this in terms of, I mean, we've talked about um, clinicians and we've talked about um, patients or, or citizens, if you like, who are being advertised to. Um, but what about promoters? I mean, do you think there's, I mean, obviously they they have a, they would see it as their role to promote their their new drugs. But is, is there anything that you think they could they could take away from this? Yeah, I'm not sure what a promoter would take away from this in the sense that, I mean, th- th- this is probably a strategy that's been discussed, that, you know, they're, they're doing it deliberately. Not that they're trying to promote poor value drugs. It's just they have a new therapy that's come to market. They may see this as a high value drug uh, and and think it offers lots of other advantages that we're not quantifying, right? You know, maybe it's better for patient adherence. Maybe it's better, uh, you know, there's fewer safety or side effects, you know, when you start to look at the other available alternatives. You know, our, our analysis isn't you know perfect and comprehensive by any means. Um, so they may see they may see value. I think the the main message really is for physicians uh, who are you know making the decisions to prescribe new therapies to patients. They should be skeptical of this promotional uh, material that they're hearing, uh, and make sure that they're they're making the best decisions that are in the best interest of their patients. Yeah, and is that how now you respond to if you have any medical students that are asking you questions about you know should I should I attend this drug dinner or should I what, what do you say? I, I suggest that they do not. I mean, I, I, particularly for medical students, uh, I, I'm a, I strongly believe that uh, the pharmaceutical industry should play no role uh, in medical education at all. I think that, uh, you know, it's hard enough to learn medicine. Uh, it's harder to, you know, differentiate, you know, when there's, you know, commercial and other uh, undue influences and in what they're being taught. So even without this paper, I would have told them not to go. Okay. Okay. 
<laughs> okay well on that um emphatic and very clear note perhaps that's a good point to to wrap up um joe ross thanks so much for for joining us Oh, it's my pleasure. Navjo, thanks for reaching out. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that paper, US Drug Marketing, How Does Promotion Correspond with Health Value, is now available on bmj.com.